welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 1st of March 2015, entitled, The Transformed Life. And the Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I invite you to stand with us to honor the reading of God's holy word, beginning with Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Did I turn myself on? Yes. Okay. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we thank you this evening for the privilege we have of looking into your word once again. And Father, though this may be a verse that we have read many times, maybe preach different types of sermons, Lord, we pray this evening that as we look afresh at this passage, Lord, that you would take and speak to our hearts what we need to hear this evening. We give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory for it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. I'm sure we have some absolutely wonderful and marvelous things here that you have done with your plasticine. I want to get some of this junk out of my way here. And then we're going to uh, to have a look at uh, at what you have uh, at what you have done there. Now, <clears throat> who's got theirs all finished? And those people that eventually listen to this on the internet, they're going to be trying to figure out what in the world that we're doing. If anybody ever does, oh wow! Okay, you all worked very hard on that. Now I want to show you something else. That uh, you, you took a lot of care. And, and you took your hands and you took that plasticine and you molded it into something very carefully, very different. Now, who knows what that is? That's a potato masher for mashing those spuds, okay? And they start out as whole spuds. And when you finish them, they, they turn up into something that's all mashed up. Well, see, I mean, if I, if I take and I use that and I just use that on that plasticine, guess what happens? Nothing. It does. <laughs> it actually goes right through those cracks and everything. Or I could be a little more imaginative. And uh, what do I do with it? Oh, there's my back. Who knows what that is? A cookie cutter. That's right. Biscuit cutter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what happens when you press something with that? You press it, you put the pressure on there, and guess what? It takes the form of the mold that you put it into. Now, maybe silly little illustrations, but it is really a beautiful picture of what we just read here in Romans chapter 12. Because look at what the passage says. First of all, he begins by pleading with us by the very mercies of God that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice. God doesn't need any more dead sacrifices. Jesus Christ took care of that. 
a living sacrifice, one that is holy, acceptable unto God, which is, he says, our reasonable service. Now, he goes on in verse 2, and he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that word there, formed, it literally speaks of pressure. As a matter of fact, from a totally different perspective, we use this passage during the summer youth camp, talking to the young people about being under pressure. Being conformed is when that literally something simply under pressure is just formed into that which is putting the pressure upon it. It takes nothing special. It can't do anything else except take the form. Being conformed to this world, being pressed by this world, being pressured by this world into the form that you're going to take of the world around you. Be not conformed to this world. Don't be pressed and pressed into the mold of this world and what it wants to do by taking those, those things because, you know, when I, when I press that, I mean, literally, I can take that, I can press it, and I can press It's going to take the form of what I'm pressing. Be not conformed. Be not pressed. Be not made into the mold of this world, but be transformed. Now, you took that same plasticine, that my example is simply being conformed, being molded into that which is pressing it, but you took it, and it was just a stick of plasticine, and you transformed it into something completely new. You took it and made it into something that was completely different than what it began with. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be pressured and pressed into the form, the mold that this world wants you to be, but be transformed into something else, he says, by the renewing of your mind. Now, that's interesting because there's a lot of things, and that's what I want to begin us to focus just a little bit, and then I want us to look at a wonderful illustration in the Word of God. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, if you let me put that in a simple vernacular, you're going to have to start thinking different. <laughs> renewing of your mind. Your mind is going to have to be different. It's going to have to think different than the world. It's going to have to think different than what it used to. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind what, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It is not God's will for your life to be pressed and pressured into the mold of this world and what this world expects of you and what this world wants you to be. It is God's perfect will that you be transformed into something new, but you're going to have to do that by thinking different than the world, by thinking different than you did when you were lost, when you were non-sinner. You could really divide it all down into two points, being conformed by the pressures of the world or being transformed by the principles of God's Word. We can let the pressures of the world conform us into what they want us to be, into that mold, or by God's Word, the principles of His Word, we can be transformed into something totally new and different. Now, I want to show you a great example of that, and that's what I guess over the next couple Sunday evenings, and you, and you know, if you were here this morning, we preached this morning, and I found myself guilty again. You know, when, when I was sitting there at my desk, and, and I was trying to, to put these thoughts together, and I kept thinking, you know, well, you know, <laughs> it doesn't really matter to me if it's a, 
if it's a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night when you sit down and you study God's Word and you try to get along with God and you find out what God wants you to, to present, to preach, it doesn't really matter what service it's going to be. It takes me getting along with God first. And, of course, I start thinking, so, well, you know, I'd really like for them all, but, you know, everybody's not here. And I could get discouraged. Well, you know, wow, you know, what about those that are only here on Sunday mornings? They'll never hear this. Well, I can't do anything about that. We are here. And God knew who would be here. And it's God's word that can transform us, that can renew our minds, that can help us to think differently about life and all that is around us. And that's what I want us to begin to grasp from this, that transformation that takes place. You see, it's something that we've seen happen time and time and time again. This is not theoretical. This is not something that could be, that might be. This is something that's real, that's genuine. We can look. If I called the name John Newton this evening, who's heard the name John Newton? Why have we heard the name John Newton? Do you think it was because that when he was a young boy that he, that he went off on that ship and he, and he became a sailor and that's what he wanted to do? He lived a life, to, he explained it himself as debauchery. He lived a vile life, an awful life. He worked on the slave ships. He even became a slave himself at one point. He was captured by, by another captain and he was literally made a slave himself. At one point, though, he even became captain of his own slave ship. Do you think if John Newton had lived his life that we would be talking about him tonight? <laughs> no. You see, God began to work on his life. He read a paper by, the name of, by a gentleman by the name of Thomas A. Kempis, and it was called Imitation of Christ. <laughs> Imitation of Christ. And just after reading that, he was out there on that ship one day, and he was caught in this terrible, horrible storm, one of the worst storms that he'd ever been caught, about, caught up in his life. He began to think about what he had read, those seeds that had been sown. And, of course, his life was transformed because he fell upon his knees. And he called out to God, and he became part of that great evangelical movement that swept this country along with the Wesley and the Whitfield and many of the others, but it was because that his life was transformed. And we're reminded of that. You see, I think it was Sister Hannah that mentioned during the conference when she was singing one of the songs, sometimes those words can mean so much more if we just take the time to grasp and understand where that writer was writing from. When John Newton wrote the words of Amazing Grace, he was, reading, he was reciting what God had done in his life because his life had been transformed. It had been made into something totally, completely different. It couldn't have been any, any different than, than day and night. How many of you have ever maybe heard the name Mel Trotter? <laughs> You've read many autobiographies. Mel Trotter, again, is a name that we could find. Mel Trotter was a, was a barber by profession. But Mel Trotter was a horrible, horrible alcoholic. Matter of fact, his, his life was totally controlled by alcohol. He felt so, so low that when his young daughter died and his wife gave him the shoes to take down to the funeral home to go on his own daughter to be buried in, instead he took them and sold them and went and bought booze with it. 
The little girl didn't have any shoes to be buried in. We find one night, some people think these things happen by accident, but one night he happened to stagger into a place called Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. And he went in there, and as he went in there, he heard the message of Jesus Christ being preached and proclaimed. His life was transformed that night. He accepted Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And when he died, he had personally been responsible for personally starting 60 of those homes in cities from the East Coast to the West Coast of the United States, reaching out to those people on the street that had never, ever heard. Would anybody have known the name of Mel Trotter had he died in that drunken state that he was living his life in? No, but his life was transformed. He was being. As a drunkard, he was being conformed to the mold of the world. The pressures around him was making him what he was. But by the power of God's word, he was changed. He was transformed into something totally and completely different. We begin to read in the Bible, if you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 9, we have an example that God himself gave us of this transformation that he's talking about. I'd like to read these verses to you this evening and just be reminded of what took place here. It says, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest. Here's a guy. His name is Saul. And I mean, he, man, he has got some passion. He's breathing out, he says, these, these threatening slaughter against anybody that's a follower of Jesus Christ. He goes to the high priest, and says, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, of what way, those followers of Jesus, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. What was that light from heaven? It was the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Here he is. I mean, he's passionate about what he's doing. He's going down through there, and his object is to go and to capture all the Christians that he can and to bind them and throw them into jail in Jerusalem. The Bible says, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. 
To him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and has seen a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. He immediately, and immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized and when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Straightway, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him. But their, but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which, when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Saul. Quite a character. By birth, he was a Jew. By citizenship, he was a Roman. By education, he was a Greek. By the grace of God, he became a Christian. Paul, an apostle, a missionary, 
an evangelist, certainly a theologian, a pastor, an organizer, a leader, a thinker, a fighter for truth, a lover of the souls of mankind. We see as we begin to read and study about this transformation, you can read right through the book of Acts and you can find what this man that was transformed that day on the road to Damascus, what God did with his life. We find that his first appearance that we find in Scripture was in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. You remember what was taking place there? It was when Stephen was being stoned. Stephen was being stoned for his faith. And, of course, it was there at the feet of this one called Saul that they laid his clothes. We saw clearly that his role following Stephen's death, you can read all about in chapter 8, he was one of the greatest persecutors the church ever knew. (laughs) He was set out bent and determined to destroy everything that had anything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, as we look into chapter 9 here, the scene brings us back to Jerusalem and Saul's continued attacks on the followers and and wanting to be more efficient and wanting to get greater authority and power to just stamp these people out and to do away with them. So we find that this was his goal. This was what he was about. We find that as we then move down into Verse 3, I want you to look at just a few things, and we'll look at a few of these over the next few weeks. But I want us just to look at one part of this transformation tonight that we find here beginning in verse 3. You see, this transformed life, this one called Saul, this one that had been being conformed by the pressures of this world and what the world and the enemy wanted him to be was now transformed into something totally new, a creation of God himself. That meant that he had a transformed substance. Substance. A transformed substance. I use that word because of another passage of scriptures that says that faith, Faith. How do we describe faith? It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the very substance of his hope and all that he was and all that he was to be. You see, this man, what he believed in, what he was made up of, what his life was all about, it was all transformed because he believed something totally different than when he stood out on that journey that day. (laughs) Then he left... He left that city with Damascus, or left Jerusalem on his way to Damascus with with one thing in mind. But his life was transformed. I want you to notice how that came about because this is vital. Because your life and my life was transformed in the same way. And the people around us, their lives will be transformed in the same way. And this is where it all begins. If we're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we've got to start thinking different, 
And that's where it begins. And you see the first thing that we see here, notice in verse 3, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined right about him a light from heaven. May I say to you that the first thing that it took was simply contact. What do you mean, preacher? I mean, Paul is literally on a journey to do great harm to the church, to destroy the cause of Christ if he possibly can, and he is stopped dead in his tracks. We could look over and we've given more details about this in Acts 22 and 26. But what we see is this hard, powerful man suddenly is scared speechless. <laughs> He's not able to even say anything. This light shone round about him, and he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? We find that Paul, somebody contacted him that he had no intention of contacting himself that day. You see, sometimes we think that maybe we kind of run into God by accident, <laughs> but all through Scripture, we find out that it's God that initiates that call. It's God that comes to us wherever we are, and he does that through people. He does it through other individuals. He does it through his word. But it's God that will make contact, and God will do it, and God may do that when you're handing somebody that tract, and he may do that when you're, when you're witnessing to someone, but everybody, the only way that transformation is going to happen is, first of all, for them to come face to face with God. Paul, still Saul at that time, on his way with a great goal and plans and everything all planned out, but he came into contact with somebody that day that he had no intentions of coming into contact with. If you look later, <laughs> what this same Paul, after his name, of course, was changed to Paul, what he wrote to young Titus, a young man in the ministry, in Titus chapter 3, notice what he says in verses 3 to 5. He says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, all I want you to see here is that this man's life was transformed because God, by his wonderful grace, made contact with him. He did the same thing with each and every one of you this evening. Not only did he bring, make contact, but you know something happens when God makes contact with a sinner. And that's what we see there in verse 4. What happened? God came on the scene, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? When God makes contact with a sinner, the next thing to follow is called conviction. Conviction. People don't like that too much. Conviction is not something that makes you feel good. Paul is laying flat out on the ground there, and he hears this voice speaking directly at him. Have you ever read your Bible and it was just like 
God has singled you out. Has the preacher ever been preaching? He said, now who told him that? <laughs> How did he find out about that? Somebody's been letting some of those dirty secrets we talked about this morning out of the bag. Now what we recognize is that when God makes contact, though, we find that it brings conviction because God is speaking to me. God's talking to me. Now, his companions heard the voice, but they didn't understand the words that, that were being spoke there. Only Saul knew what these words meant because these words were for his ears. We find that he says he heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The question itself, I think, reflects that inseparable link between Christ and his body. Who was it that Saul had been persecuting? Church, the body of Christ. Jesus asked him specifically, Saul, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> You see, when we become part of the body of Christ, we literally are one with Christ. When Saul was going about persecuting those that were part of the body of Christ, he was persecuting Jesus Christ himself. That's the question that Jesus asked. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? That conviction comes. We find that that's the natural way that it's always going today. You see, too many people today say that They've never actually done anything to hurt the cause of Christ. They think by just not doing anything. But that's not what God says. You know, the Bible says if we are not for him, we are against him. There's only two sides, folks. There is no middle ground. We've talked about this so many times. We're either on God's side or we're on Satan's side. There is no other team in this game. And it's the game of life. And it's a matter of life and death. We find that the sin of all sins, the sin that will eternally damn a soul to hell forever, a sin for which there is no forgiveness for, is rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> you see, so many times when it's God comes, what happens? The Bible talks about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. God comes and it's his conviction power. That's why the Holy Spirit has been left, and yet they accredit the work of him to somebody else. Oh, that's just your words. That's just you making it up. It's just you religious fanatics. They won't accept the fact that it's God himself speaking to them. You can get forgiveness for everything else, but there is no forgiveness for rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is nowhere else to go. He is the only way. Saul found that out on the road to Damascus that day because we find that when Jesus asked him that question, verse 5 says, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, I and Jesus, whom thou persecutest, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Who are you, Lord? There's something different. Saul's a man of power. <laughs> Yet, he's calling this man he's talking to, Lord. <laughs> has he recognized him for who he is? Has he recognized him as God for who he is? Who are you, Lord? 
I got a feeling he was afraid of the answer to that question before he asked it, but he had to ask it. was afraid that he was probably dreading what the Lord was going to say back to him. Of course, the question confirmed the light of truth that was beginning to, to light up his soul. The gospel was becoming positive instead of negative. What did Jesus say? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. A prick or a goad. It was a sharp stick that they used for, for prodding the cattle, <laughs> for getting those cattle to go where they wanted to. They'd, they'd prod them with these sharp sticks. Oh, it's pointless for you. <laughs> these painful efforts, <laughs> they're not going to get you anywhere. Saul's resistance was being crushed. You see, we have to become broken before we can become whole. Saul was being broken that day, a man with all of his power and authority. He's the same one that later wrote when he wrote to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 3. He says, beginning in verse 4, he said, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. <laughs> Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. <laughs> oh, yes. Paul not only was there first the contact with God of recognizing God, the conviction that came, but then there was the conversion. <laughs> You see, we have to respond to that conviction. When God comes and speaks to us individually, only we can accept him for who he is. Only we can cry out to him for that forgiveness to accept him for who he is. And of course, we find there's a lot of changes come. Notice in verses 6 to 8, and he trembled, astonished, said, Lord, what would you, what would you have me to do? Of course, the Lord gave him instructions. The Lord told him where to go, what to do. Saul's surrender was complete. You see, there he surrendered totally to what God wanted him to do. We sing that hymn, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. But do we mean that from our hearts? I've told you before that I, I hear this teaching of people talking about accepting Jesus Christ as a, as a Savior, but him not being Lord of their life, I don't understand that. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But what I want you to recognize here is that Paul, first of all, first of all, 
had to come in contact with God. God speaking to him. Each and every one of us, there was a time when God spoke personally to us. And it's not our words that will transform any life, but it's the word of God, just as it did Saul that day. And it's God's word that will bring that conviction. God speaking. They have to come to recognize God. It's only when they accept him for who he is, Jesus Christ for who he is, that they can truly be converted and then that they can be consecrated, that they can be set apart, that their lives can be changed, that it can be put on a, on a different path. And we find that it's only after we've been set apart from this world that we know that true communion with the Lord can come. Paul was laid up there for three days. He couldn't see, couldn't eat, couldn't drink, anything. His life was being transformed. He was being made into a new creation. You see, we need to realize and recognize pressure is a part of life. And this world is going to put its pressure in all kinds of ways. And this world wants to conform us into its mold, what it is comfortable with, what it wants us to be. But God's telling us to present our bodies to him, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, which is our reasonable service. Not to be conformed, pressed, molded into what this world wants us to be, but to be transformed into something new. Being transformed into what he wants us to be. He says that's how his perfect will is going to be carried out in our lives. Transformed by the renewing of your mind, by thinking different. And it's God's word that will do that for us. All of us today, we are being made into something. We all are who we are today because of so many things that have happened in our life. Are we who we are more as a result of being conformed to what the world has expected and what the world wants and what the world wants us to be today or because we've been transformed by the renewing of our minds by God's work that's taking place in our lives. And that begins by being transformed in substance, a transformation of our faith, a transformation of what we believe and who we believe and what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. By coming in contact with God when he speaks personally to us through his precious holy word. Folks, we've got a grasp. We just don't seem to get it in our heads, any of us. This is God's word. This is God speaking to us. Why do we make so much of the word of God in our day? Because it is God's holy, precious, preserved word of God for us. That's what will renew our minds. We can fill it with this world. We can let this world, with all of its pressures, it'll conform us. The pressure's there. It's going to be affecting our thinking. It's going to be affecting who we are and where we go and what we become. Just like that plasticine. Being conformed, being molded by the pressures around us being transformed 
just like all those beautiful things that you transformed with your fingers, being transformed into a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look through the rest of these verses, I want you to, to just get the wonderful, beautiful picture. It begins by a transformation of the very substance of our faith, of all we are and what we believe and who we are. It begins with that transformation that comes to a contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, the conviction that he brings, the conversion when we respond to that, the consecration that comes when we do surrender all to him and allow him to direct our lives and just go and do what he tells us to do, that communion that we'll never know, that sweet communion that gives you that peace that passes all the understanding, the joy that's unspeakable and all those other things, a transformed life. Father, we thank you this evening that as we think on these simple verses, and Lord, there's so much more here that we want to see, but help us to rejoice this evening. The fact that each and every one of us, Lord, I hope, I hope that there's no one left here this evening that's still being conformed to this world. Conform to what this world wants them to be. Conform to what this world is comfortable with. Father, we find that even in our realms of Christendom, that even within the churches of our day, Lord, not because we've arrived, not because that we're perfect, Lord, we have so many fallacies and failings. But Lord, as we look around us, we see that, Lord, we live in a day when even the churches are being conformed into what the world wants, what people are comfortable with. Lord, we know that so often we, we read through the Bibles. We'll see as we go through this. I mean, when Paul was being transformed, well, they were wanting to kill him. They were wanting to run him out of town. They were wanting to get rid of him. They didn't want him in their midst. We realize today that it's not the most popular thing. But I pray. Lord, I pray above all else here this evening that if there is anybody here, under the sound of these words, not because they're words that this preacher has stumbled through tonight, but because of the words that you've given us, Lord, you promise us. You promise us, Lord, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing of the word of God. There might be somebody here this evening that their faith needs to be transformed They need a transformed faith. They need to believe different than what they came in here believing. The very substance of their life needs to be transformed, and that can only come through a transformed faith. So, Lord, I pray, and I pray for every Christian here. Help us rejoice. Help us to realize that, yes, the world is going to keep trying. They're not going to give up. But, Lord, you have challenged us to give ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, a holy one, one that is acceptable to you. Father, I pray that you'd help us to do that. Help us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. Help us just to begin maybe over these next weeks as we look to think a little bit differently about some of these things through the renewing of our mind, through what your word help us, Lord, not to respond to the pressures of this world, but to the principles of your word. We give you the praise for that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.